Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warrior. This is another Tactical Tuesday, short form conversation with subject matter experts designed to give you the practical tools, tips, and advice for building your solar business and career. If you are following along on LinkedIn, then last week you would have noticed we posted at the beginning of the week a post that highlighted the five most downloaded, i.e. most popular, female guests of the Suncast podcast in honor of the fantastic, phenomenal female leaders that we have featured on Suncast here in this Women's History Month. And so I decided that today and next Tuesday, we're going to take snippets of two of the top downloaded episodes of the podcast, Britta Van Osen and Tara Doyle, and give you a little taste of why folks have enjoyed them. This one today is from episode 235 from Britta Van Osen of Kohn Resnick Capital. I would really encourage you that if you like what you hear here today, then you probably want to scroll back if you're in a podcast player lets you search then search for b-r-i-t-t-a and you'll find episode 235 where it was an hour of just really insightful and fantastic conversation i know i'm biased but believe me it's a long form one that you'll want to enjoy this 15 minute snippet alone shows you some of the key elements of financing storage advice for developers on storage financeability how CCA's work and why she finds that exciting and what the heck they are. Anatomy of successful deal structure, especially with regard to CCA's and even community solar. A view into who invests in renewables at what stages and levels of investment. And I even convinced Britta to talk a little bit about how developers attract strategic financing partners and when they might want to hire an investment banking partner. All this comes in a tiny package of about 15 minutes that I know you will enjoy. I'm so glad that you've decided to join us and level up your game, Solar Warrior. Remember, you can find the resources and learn more about Britta and all of our other guests and their recommendations over at the show notes page in the blog at mysuncast.com. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast platform, which we make easy on our website, but you already are listening to it. So hopefully that means you've figured out how to do the hard part, which is find us. Now hit the subscribe button and even hit the little bell reminder if your podcast app allows you to do so. (laughs) You can jump over to YouTube and search Suncast Media as well and watch a lot of the live stream content that we've been producing that as well is there to help you level up your game. Let's hop over to the 15-minute segment of the hour-long conversation we had way back in 2019 with Britta Van Osen of Cone Resnick Capital. Get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior. Here we go with another powerful conversation on Suncast. What do you think are some of the key elements of financing storage right now that you guys are learning about and that developers need to be wary of? 
Predominantly right now, a lot of the utility scale storage is build on transfer. So we're not seeing a huge amount of PPA type storage standalone. Um, we are seeing storage tacked on to most of the solar projects that we're seeing bid into RFPs and, and contracting offtake at the moment. And that is, it's a, it is financeable. It is absolutely eligible for the ITC if you do things the right way, but it's complicated. And that's really cutting some of that red tape is what I was hoping for in the 2019 spending bill that, that didn't happen for the storage only ITC. So, I mean, so it sounds like it's a, it's a market where it still needs quite a bit of regulatory and incentive support. But are there things that developers are doing now that you see in the marketplace that are as storage, uh, you know, we entered the, what Sia calls the, sword, the solar plus decade uh, that developers really need to be thinking about if they believe that they're going to be able to get a deal finance with storage. I guess, are there things, given what you have seen, are there things that sort of telltale signs or ways that developers need to be like processes they need to have in place to ensure that they are financeable? Yeah. So the capital is there. I mean, we are seeing institutional investors across the board all saying, well, I've earmarked 100 million for storage and I've earmarked this and, you know, we've, we've got the money to deploy into storage. The biggest issue is the complexity. So for solar plus storage developers, the, the best advice I can give them on financeability is to make the offtake contract as uncomplicated as possible. And whether that's just a straight PPA, whether it's some type of TOD factor applied to a PPA or a straight capacity fixed payment, et cetera, that is a lot easier to finance than anything that is uh, market driven or that is, you know, kind of has a merchant component to it. Right. So merchant for storage, still not uh, particularly financeable. One of the things that you have a lot of experience in is hel- is helping uh, with some of these new offtake models out there like CCAs. What have you and your team learned about the CCA model that you feel is interesting for listeners to understand? I think CCAs are fascinating. Um, and maybe the- describe what a CCA is for those who don't know. Okay, so it's a community choice aggregator. Um, They're popping up all over the U.S., but primarily in in California is where we're seeing them. Um, It's basically an alternative energy sales platform to the local utility. And so there's tons of them popping up all over kind of Northern California and Southern California. Northern, we've got, you know, Marine Clean Energy, Peninsula Clean Energy, East Bay, um, I think there's a San Francisco one. And and basically, according to the regulations, you're you're kind of automatically opted in. You can elect then how much of your energy is coming from renewable resources. And the CCAs are offering a discount to PG&E or SCE or, or whoever the local utility is. And it, it's basically giving communities choice about what what is sourcing their energy. And I, you know, the, the utilities don't love it, but um, but it is it is pretty popular from a consumer standpoint. Yeah, consumer choice, right? And uh, it ties into the the growth of what uh, several guests have called the fourth vertical, which is community solar, allowing folks that frankly just don't have the opportunity to put it on their house or or choose not to because it doesn't make economic sense can still tap into a corporate aggregation model that and that it basically forces the utility to acknowledge that renewables need to be integrated in their product mix. Is there anything uh, that you guys have learned about 
the nature of developing the offtake in, uh, in terms of how to engage the utilities that you'd be able to share in terms of, uh, that, that you find is interesting around sort of that anatomy of getting these deals done? Yeah. So, I mean, both on community solar and CCA offtakes, um, credit profile is is incredibly important. A lot of the CCAs are less than three years old, so they don't really have the financial history to to become credit rated yet. Although, you know, Peninsula Clean Energy, I think, was the second one to get rated, and it was last year. Um, and that was only after about two years of of really strong financial performance. So we we expect to see a snowball effect and, mm-hmm. and continuing to see CCAs get rated. So that's really positive. On on the community solar side as well, there's um there's a lot of regulations that are making it fairly complex to deploy a lot of these uh, I think Minnesota is a great example of a, a state that got it right. Um, they offered kind of a, a floor payment from the utility, um, which really, really helped with the financeability of these assets because you knew even if for so, for whatever reason your um, various offtakers were gone, there there was a, a floor payment option from an investment-grade uh, credit. Yeah, these are akin to, for those of us in, in, uh, working in international development, kind of credit easing that World Bank and others engage in, right, to, uh, to help lift uh, the opportunity in uh, developing, world, developing nations where there's a lot of um, uh, financial insecurity. I imagine that you see investors from a relationship management perspective across the spectrum from small to um, what they call the, what is it, the, um, I heard Tom Warrick say this most in, in a recent talk, the bulge bracket. Uh, I, those of us who don't speak financial terms maybe get lost in that. But where, what stage of development do you see different types of investors interested in entering into these solutions? Yeah, so it 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 runs the gamut from you know wealthy individuals who are looking for tax offsetting. Um, there, there's a number of uh, aggregators that are working with those groups and kind of helping them to invest tax efficient money into smaller deals. All the way to the the huge pensions, you know, Calpers, PGGM, groups like that that are are buying hundreds and hundreds of megawatts or portions of of hundreds and hundreds of megawatts um, at really really competitive cost of capital that are then cash flowing for them over the next thirty five et cetera years. So it, it really runs the gamut. Um, we're seeing more and more international money coming into the U.S. and focusing on U.S. investment as well. A lot of European money, a lot of Asian, a lot of Canadian dollars being spent here. And I think a lot of this is going to vary over the next few years if, if we do enter into some type of a pullback. Um, I think U.S. renewables are a pretty solid uh, and safe place to, to put those funds. And, and so I expect to see this to just continue Um, people pouring money into this industry. Hey, you know, it's becoming commonplace to hear that energy storage is the key to deploying renewables at scale. But if you've tried to put storage on a commercial solar project ever, then you realize it's easier said than done until now. Look, I've seen many energy storage solutions for commercial buildings as a solar project developer in my 15 years in the industry, but Yada Energy's storage product just scratches that developer itch of fit, function, and ease to install. Yada's PV-coupled ecosystem of Solar Plus storage solutions integrates seamlessly right behind the solar panel. In fact, it elegantly replaces the need for a ballast as it nests right into the racking on a flat roof install. Even better, 
Yada's integrated storage technology can enable up to 60% more solar to be employed on commercial buildings. With commercial buildings consuming 35% of electricity, that means that Yada is finally helping business owners and solar installers alike make a serious dent in the commercial sector's massive carbon emissions. Yada Energy is poised to meet the growing demands of electrification by maximizing solar plus storage without taking up additional valuable commercial real estate for your customers. To find out how Yada Energy can bring storage to your CNI rooftop project, visit mysuncast.com forward slash Yada. That's Y-O-T-T-A. Yada Energy, an elegant and revolutionary approach to solar plus storage. Hey, I know you are a savvy listener. Heck, you're listening to Suncast, and you've probably, as a result, heard of a little company called SunGrow. If you're not using SunGrow inverters on your projects, I would love to better understand why. They are the inverter of choice for many of the EPCs that I know. SunGrow is the number one in gigawatts deployed. They've got the top bankability in the industry. Hexsolve uses them for the majority of their projects. And you may not even know, but SunGrow has the largest R&D team in the power electronics industry. These three key points alone have convinced most of the major US developers to prefer SunGrow. They now experience a diversified supply chain, local service team, patented containerized product, all with their seamless pain-free commissioning. Look, imitation is the highest form of flattery. So why spend all of your cycles on what inverter to use when the largest EPC in the land has already done the heavy lifting for you? You can have their same experience for your projects. See how at mysuncast.com forward slash sungrow. Those internationals investing in the US market is that predominantly large European and other utilities like Enel and EDF, uh, or are there other types sort of categories of investors that you uh, think people should be on the lookout for and understand how they function? Yeah, it's both. It's it's the utilities and, and again, European, but also uh, a lot of Asian utilities um, and IPPs looking to come into the market. And then there's the the pure infrastructure and financial groups as well that are just looking for, you know, a portion of the equity and to clip coupons, right? They don't want to build it. They don't want to, you know, operate it. They just want to take those coupons. What's an example of a company like that, a pure infrastructure company that's looking for coupons? I mean, there's there's a number of them, you know, and any of the pensions, right, would, would fall under that. So, you know, a, a PGGM is a good example, um, Ontario teachers, gr- groups like that, that are, they have portfolio companies that can maybe take on some of the responsibilities of, of building and and managing the the assets, but if they're making a direct investment, it's really a coupon play. How common is it for developers to go around investment banks and directly work with pensions and like Ontario teachers or others? It happens. I mean, there there are certainly groups that have uh, direct relationships. There's there's groups that have raised their own funds. Um, that you know, a, a pension is parked couple hundred million bucks. Geronimo is a great example of that with Washington Investment Board. So so that absolutely happens. I think the the key is just making sure, you know, it is somewhat luck of the draw if you're going direct to somebody, if they are the actual right counterparty who can maximize your value and, and get a deal done in a quick manner. I think what the bankers offer is the knowledge of who is actually hungry, who's looking for that specific portfolio and that that type of risk profile. 
and matchmaking those groups. In your experience, and you have to make this argument to win customers, but in your experience, developers well suited or, or what do they what do you see in a developer that makes them capable of being able to do this type of finance without investment bank or or is it generally just hubris because they've got someone that was a banker that's now part of the development team? I mean, look, on the, on the project finance side, there are groups that are that are doing this fine. A lot of the larger IPPs that are financing hundreds and hundreds of megawatts a year, they have this down. They have their core relationships. They're going back to those relationships and doing repeat deals. And I am not appropriate in those situations. I, I would not recommend they hire me. Um, and and that's fine. What we do bring a lot of value for are the groups that that don't have those, you know, strong standing repeat business or or that have deals that maybe have a little bit of hair that need a little more creative solution. Um, CCAs are a great example. DG is a, a great example. Community solar, any of these things that fall outside of the the traditional box, some of the different offtake structures, you know, revenue proxy swap, some of the corporate hedges, etc. We we bring a significant amount of value there because we know exactly what the investors are looking for, and we can also troubleshoot before you even get to that stage to make sure anything that that is hairy we know about and is is presented appropriately, and and why that risk is mitigated. There are groups that can do the project finance on their own. On the asset sale and and corporate equity raise, it is rare for somebody to be able to do that internally, in my opinion, as well as a bank could. I mean, we, we just are having the number of conversations and have the recent experience and, and know exactly what is happening with 100 plus investors that are all interested in this. And it's our full-time job, right? So it's it's rare for somebody to have that as their full-time job on an internal perspective. So that's my take. I wonder, I always like to, and I don't mean to poke the box here um, and put you on the defensive, but, you know, I would say five years ago, it was sort of prevailing uh, wisdom that sales for residential solar as a category was best done by a team that had a lot of resources, um, you know, Solar City Vivint as great examples. But as we've seen, these companies mature, sell off, et cetera. Those that grew up in that environment and learned what to do sort of fall out into the market as brokers. And in the current 21st century gig economy, I see a ton of residential sales teams that aren't attached to any one solar company or developer, right? They're just, they're shopping out their leads, as it were, or close contracts to Sunworks or you name it, right? Even Vivint and Sunrun. Is that something that see that could potentially happen in solar and project finance as we, I mean, I, I know a ton of folks just to sort of play the devil's advocate here who currently operate in the market as a broker and are more, I would say cost efficient, if not time, maybe it takes a little longer, but certainly cost less to use a broker who's maybe worked at Cone Resnick than use Cone Resnick as well. What would you say to someone who is considering like using someone who, who is a broker versus using a boutique investment bank like Cone with such deep experience? So if if all you're looking for is an introduction, I think that is a great option. What you will find, though, is if that deal runs into any hiccups, you don't then have the backing of Cone Resonant Capital, who has seen that hiccup, who knows the the solution and how to get the parties to work together and, and has the accounting and structuring know-how to make sure that you're not getting dinged for that. But yeah, I mean, if, if it's a simple introduction game, I'd agree that, that that's not what we do. We are deeply involved from the start through the finish through the final funding 
uh, management of the process, you know, creating the competitive tension and then getting the deal closed in an efficient and high value manner. All right. Well, that's a wrap on that conversation with Britta von Osen. What do you think of that? I hope that having been convinced to listen to the old 15 minutes, it has been worth your time and that you are now already searching if you haven't already and queuing up episode 235 so that you could hear even more of this fantastic lady's life and story. We even get into a lot of her backstory, which is non-trivial. It's a fascinating conversation. Trust me. If you want to enjoy more content like this, well, you're in luck because you can find more than 450 episodes, resources, highlights from these discussions, along with social media links of each guest back at the blog at mysuncast.com. Or as I've said before, you just queue up the next episode, which will hit this Thursday. In fact, Megan Nutting, my friend from Sonova, will feature as this Thursday's executive profile, a long form interview for those of you who like those and many, many of you do, in fact. I hope that you'll take a moment to say hi to me and to Britta Van Osen over on LinkedIn. I'll post so that make it easy for you. So just look for me on LinkedIn and I'll make it easy to find her. Okay. Special thanks to our sponsors who help make this podcast free for you so that you can keep listening without having to pay a single penny except your attention, which we both know is hyper valuable. They make it free to you. So why don't you go take a moment and check them out at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. You can hear all about SunGrow and Yada Energy. And you can follow links to any offers or demos or other cool benefits they might be proffering to the Suncast tribe. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.